Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and I'm so glad that you are with me in this study of the book of Mark. Today is the grand finale. We come to the conclusion of our study, and friends, this book, this series, has absolutely changed my life. My faith has grown. My love for the Lord Jesus has increased. All through this book, chapter by chapter, we have walked with Jesus, town to town, village to village, and we have studied miracle after miracle. Oh, I hope that you've enjoyed it all. Well, today in chapter 16, as we come to the end of the chapter, we are going to see some incredible words from Jesus. I'm so glad that you're with me today, and I hope you enjoy this sermon called, These Signs Shall Follow Those Who Believe. I want you to go with me to Mark chapter 16. Today we come to the conclusion, to the grand finale of what has been, I don't know for you, but at least for me, it has been a life-changing study. We felt drawn to the book of Mark, and I felt like the Lord wanted us to preach through the entire book. So we began way back in January with the first Sunday of the year leading all the way to the end of April, because you know what next Sunday is, right? It's the Healing Sunday. And oh, how we expect God to do great things. We believe that addictions are going to be broken in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We believe that emotional hurts are going to be healed in the name of the Lord. We believe mental illness is going to be healed in the name of the Lord. We believe that physical diseases are going to be healed in Jesus' name. And lastly, we believe that salvation is going to be all over the house. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. And so we've been preaching through the book of Mark, chapter by chapter. We've been going town to town, village to village. Studying miracle after miracle as the Lord Jesus touched so many people. We've called this series Walking with Jesus because that's literally what we've done through the Gospel of Mark. We have walked with Him and we have met so many people. Did you enjoy the Syrophoenician woman and her great faith? Did you enjoy the man with the withered hand and how he obeyed the Lord and stretched it forth and God restored it? I hope you enjoyed the paralytic who was lowered down from the roof. What a sermon it was called the storm of your life when Jesus calmed the Sea of Galilee. I don't know about you, but that changed my life forever. We saw Jesus feed the 5,000 and then we saw him turn around and feed another 4,000. And how we saw the provision of Jesus in our daily lives. We met the woman with the blood issue who the doctors could not help. And for 12 years, she didn't get any better, but she grew all the worse. We met the demoniac man who had 2,000, a legion of demons inside him. And Jesus cast them out. And he was healed and in his right mind. He was a cutter. He harmed himself. 
And Jesus saved him and restored him and put him in his right mind. We met Jairus' young daughter, only 12 years old. And sadly, she died. But you know, Jesus never attended a funeral that he didn't mess it up. And Jesus raised her from the dead. I don't know about you, but Mark has been exhilarating to me. We were on the Mount of Transfiguration. We come down from the mountain with Christ and his inner circle. And we met the boy who was demon-possessed and would throw himself in fire. And his father asked the Lord Jesus, If there is anything you can do to help us, will you please help us? And what did Jesus say? If. All things are possible to him who believes. And do you remember what that anxious father who had nowhere else to go and no one to turn to. Do you remember what that father said? I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Perhaps one of the most beautiful prayers in all of the Bible. The theme of the book of Mark has been to grow our faith. We've seen the disciples in many situations where Yes, they left everything to follow Jesus. Yes, they were disciples. They were followers. But at the end of the day, they really didn't believe. And as we've come through chapter after chapter after chapter of the book, we see more of their faith growing. But yet, it still was lacking, as we're going to see in the closing chapter today. If you were with me last week as we celebrated Resurrection Sunday, we were in verses 1 through 8. And you remember we said John Mark penned the book and he abruptly stops at verse 8. It's like hitting, it's like we slam into a brick wall. The women are at the tomb. These godly, courageous, fearless women went to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. And in all of their courage, in all of their godliness, in all of their affection for Jesus, do you remember what we said their flaw was? They went to the tomb, even though Jesus said, I will die, I will be buried, and I will rise again three days later. Do you remember these women went to the tomb And all they talked about was who shall roll away the stone for us. And they didn't go to the tomb expecting a miracle. They didn't go to the tomb expecting the promise of Jesus to be fulfilled. They didn't go expecting a resurrection. All they could see was the massive stone. And so it is in our life. Many of us love the Lord Jesus We have great affection for Him. We come to His house. We read the Bible. We worship the Lord. But we often have such little faith. We often forget the promise of Jesus in our life. Just like these women forgot His promise in three days. I will rise. Oh, we better not throw too many stones. Because we are prone to the same. Are we not? Today, I want us to look at verses 9 through 20 as we conclude our journey through the book of Mark. Let me explain something before we go any further because in your Bibles, if you will pay close attention, most of you in your Bible, you will have verses 9 to 20 in brackets. And it will probably have a footnote 
and say something like this, that these verses are not found in the most ancient or the oldest of manuscripts. Now, if you are a church like us, who we believe with all of our heart that the Word of God is inspired by God. We believe it is infallible. That means there are no discrepancies. There are no mistakes in the original manuscripts of the Bible. We believe that it is inerrant. There are no errors in God's Word. It is perfect in every way. We believe that God's word is eternal. For Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will remain forever. We believe that. So then what do you do with verses 9 through 20? If they were not in the original manuscripts, if this means that John Mark finished his gospel with verse 8, then is it a discrepancy? Is it a fallacy? For verses 9 to 20 to appear later. Well, let's talk about that. There are many critics of the Bible who doubt its validity. There are many critics who will often say, well, yes, there are thousands of manuscripts. As a matter of fact, when you talk about ancient literature in the Greek world, in the Roman world... There are very few copies of preserved literature. But when it comes to God's Word, do you realize there are over 25,000 ancient manuscripts? 25,000. Do you know why? Because all through history, God's people have preserved His Word. And if you're going to take notes today, I want you to note this when it comes to God's Word. Number one, we believe as God, as Christians, as Christ followers, as God's people, we believe, number one, all Scripture is inspired by God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is breathed out. In other words, it is inspired by God Himself. So do you know what that means? That means that the Bible has one primary author. And do you know who that author is? It is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit authored the Word of God. He moved upon men. He used their intellect. He used their personalities. He used their life skills. He used their life experiences. He used their trials and their circumstances. He used everything. He used their culture. He used their language. He used men. Yes! He used men to write the Bible. Friends, do you know why common men wrote the Bible? So that common men may read and understand the Bible. It may have been written by common men. But let me tell you the real source. Let me tell you the real author. It is the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's why there may be diversity in the cultures and the languages of which men who wrote the Bible. But there is a unity In its message. If the Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible. Here's what I want you to write down second. That means that the Holy Spirit is the preserver of the Bible. If the Holy Spirit authored it. Then my friends I assure you the Holy Spirit has preserved it. All through the history of mankind. It has been passed down to us. Now critics will argue 
Critics will say, well, you don't have the original copies. And we don't. Scholars call them the autograph. We don't have the autograph copy of Matthew or of Mark or Luke or John. But yet there are 25,000 replicas. So critics will say, oh, then what? how can you say it's valid if you don't have the original? Well, you know, that's silly thinking. If I had a $100 bill in my pocket this morning, and I don't because my wife don't let me play with cash. <clears throat> a blind man don't know the difference between a $100 bill and a $1 bill, so I don't get to play with money. But if I had a $100 bill in my pocket, and I presented you with a hundred, say I purchased something from you for $100. Who is going to look at that? Let's just say that $100 bill was printed by the treasury in 19, let's just say 56. How silly would it be of you to say, you know, I don't trust the reliability of that. Well, it's backed by the full faith and promise of the U.S. government. Yeah, but, you know, I would need to see and I would need to touch and feel the original engraving plates before I trusted it. No. We have confidence in our currency. Even though you and I have never touched the, rep- the, the, the plates. Even though you and I have never seen the engraving plate. No, we have confidence. Why? Because it is the exact replica. It is authentic. It is valid. Is anyone with me right now? What you have in your word of God is the real, authentic word of God. And if you begin to doubt that, then you fall into the snare of Adam and Eve. Has God truly said? That's his playbook. Now, it will be worth your while to study the history of the translations of the word of God. It's worth your time to Begin to understand the vastness and the richness of the men and women who have given us God's word, who have preserved it. If you don't know anything about John Wycliffe, you should learn about him. If you don't know anything about John Huss, you should learn about him. If you don't know anything about William Tyndale, you should learn about him. There were men that gave their lives and risked their lives that they could preserve for us and give to us the actual words of God. A wicked man by the name of Voltaire. Voltaire was a French enlightener in the late 1700s. And he was a godless and a wicked man. He mocked God. He mocked Christianity. And he railed against Scripture. And he was wicked and he died a horrible death. Voltaire said, he's famous for quoting and saying, 100 years from my day, there will not be left on planet earth one Bible because it's so irrelevant. It's full of fables. Well, let me tell you what happened when that godless man died. Years later, the president of the Geneva Bible Society, purchased his home. 
and turned it into the largest Bible hub for all of Europe. Amen. And I want to tell you today, friends, we are cut from that same cloth. This church is committed to translating, to printing, to distributing the word of God to this culture, to this generation. Do you realize that this year we have made a commitment to translate the book of 1 John, all 105 verses, all five chapters. We have committed month after month. God told me, he said, put your faith on it. On the 21st of every single month, translate the book and don't let a month pass that you don't do it. $3,700 per month. It will cost $44,000, but it does not matter. It's what God told us to do, and we're committed to it. And I began praying in January, and every month before the 21st, God delivers it. Amen. Friends, I want you to know we are cut from the exact same cloth of these men and women that preserved the Word of God. These men and women that smuggled the Bible. These men and women that crafted and they translated and they gave all for the Word of God. Why? Because we believe that heaven and earth will pass away, but the words of God are eternal. Friends, there is no greater gift that we can give our generation than the words of God, period. This summer, I'm going to invite you. I don't know what we're going to call it yet. We'll, we'll come up with something creative. but We're going to memorize Scripture together. This summer, for June and July, we will select a Scripture out of 1 John, one Scripture per week. And I'm going to ask all of our families, together as a family, with your children, with your grandchildren, I'm going to ask our families, memorize it with us. And after we've memorized it for the week, I'm going to ask all that can, all that's able, all that's willing, let's translate it. It's $35 per verse. And you know what? If 100 families will memorize God's word and then translate that verse. There's an entire translation project done just like that. I hope you'll be part of that with me. Friends, we're cut from the same cloth of these who preserve the word of God. So what do you do with verses 9 to 20? Is it the word of God? Yes. And why is it the word of God? Because it is authored and because it is preserved. By the Holy Spirit himself. Now let's dive into it. Verses 9 through 11, we see Mary Magdalene go to the disciples and tell them, I am an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus. But do they believe her? No. They choose not to believe her. Some scholars go, well... They didn't believe her because in these days, the testimony of a woman was not valid. They, a woman's testimony was not accepted in a court of law. Isn't it something 
that in a day when women were viewed as property, in a day that women had no value in society, that Jesus valued them so much that they were the first that he appeared to? Isn't it something that throughout the New Testament in the Roman world that women were second-class citizens, that the Bible elevated women among the church? Don't you let anyone tell you that the Bible suppresses women. No, my friends, Christianity elevates women unlike anything else. And it did it in the Roman culture. It's fascinating. Verses 9, 10, 11, Mary Magdalene, they don't believe her. Some say it's because she was a woman, but no. Look at verse number 12. Jesus then appears to the two on the way to Emmaus, to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Luke goes into great detail. He tells us all about this incident. You can read it in, in Luke in great detail. And these two disciples, they go back and they tell the others, and yet they still don't believe them. Isn't that fascinating? Verse 13. Verse 12. Verse 13 and 14. Then Jesus is going to appear then to the 11. Now why are there only 11 and not 12? You remember Judas Iscariot betrayed him and then committed suicide. Now there's only 11. That's going to change in Acts 1. But for now, there's only 11. And Jesus appears to them. And I want you to see how the book of Mark has this summary here. What is he going to rebuke them for? For their unbelief and for what? Their hardness of heart. Friends, I want you to hear me today. I want you to pay attention to the word today. Do you remember in, in, in Mark chapter 6, after Jesus, he not only had fed the 5,000, then he turned right around on a different occasion and he fed the 4,000. And then the disciples get into the boat and you remember they're blown away by the miracle, but they don't have enough bread for themselves. Do you remember we were there weeks and weeks ago? And Jesus overhears their conversation. And in their conversation, they're complaining about how there's not enough bread for them. And Jesus rebukes them and says, how is it that you have no faith? How is it that you are hard of heart? Why? Because they just saw one of the greatest miracles of Jesus, not once, but twice. And instead of looking to the supernatural ability of God, they only looked at the natural limitations. And Jesus is going, are you kidding me? I am the bread of life and I can provide it for you. And yet you won't even ask me. How do you not have faith? That's what Jesus asked. And then we come to chapter 8 and it's the pivotal point of the book. And Peter has this great confession that thou art the Christ. And then we follow him through the triumphal entry. And we follow him through the cleansing of the temple. And we follow him through the teachings of the temple. And then we come to Calvary. And they all forsake him. John the beloved is there. But Peter, he's denied him three times. In the courtyard after the garden of Gethsemane. And they've all abandoned him. They've all forsaken him. They've all ran away. And yet Jesus doesn't write them off. Amazing. 
And you remember that godless chief priest. You remember? They crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph of Arimathea and the converted Nicodemus, the Pharisee, they take the body of the Lord Jesus Christ off the cross, this broken and bruised, bloodied body. They wrap him in linen and they lay him in a tomb, Joseph's tomb. And you remember what the chief priest says? He goes to Pontius Pilate and he says, We remember his words. In three days, he says he will rise again. Put two Roman guards and seal the tomb. And friends, I want you to hear me. The enemies of Jesus remembered his words when his followers forgot them. And here are the disciples We saw it last week. There's the evidence of the empty tomb. There's the evidence of the Roman soldiers. There's the evidence of the angels that rolled the stone away. And then there's the eyewitness evidence of the women. And now there's the evidence of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And yet their hearts are hardened. And they still will not believe. And still they do not remember the words of Jesus. And yet we come to church. And yet we read our Bibles. And yet we sing our songs. And yet we pray our prayers. And yet many of us are hard of heart. Because when it comes to God working in our life, we stop short. And there's a, yeah, but. Yeah, but. Would Jesus rebuke us for our lack of faith, for our hardness of heart? When we who are in this building today and many watching online, when we are Christ followers ourselves, let us examine ourselves. But see, here's the beauty of Jesus. He doesn't write us off. Jesus rebukes them for their lack of faith. He rebukes them for their hardness of heart. But then he's going to turn right around and he's going to speak vision into them. He's going to commission them. Remember in John 21, he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. (laughs) I mean, you're talking to the biggest cowards on earth. You're talking to men who split during the Garden of Gethsemane. Men who, who... They're they're hiding in Jerusalem behind locked doors. Do you remember what the angel told the women last week in in, in verses 1 through 8? We studied it. The the angel said, tell his disciples and Peter, go on to Galilee and the Lord will meet you there. And they didn't do that. Where are they? They're in Jerusalem hiding behind locked doors. And look what Jesus tells these cowards. Look what Jesus tells. If you and I were hired by God to recruit Men who are going to turn the world upside down. We wouldn't recruit these men. And I want you to look what Jesus tells them. Verse number 15. And he tells them to go into all the world. And proclaim the gospel to all creation. Are you kidding me? He's going to take ordinary men. Average. Probably let's be honest. Less than average. 
Peter was a, Peter was a, he was a fisherman. I'm not going to say that Peter had a beer gut, but I'm going to say John outran him. I, I, I picture Peter having a big gut on him. He probably wouldn't like me saying that, but I, I don't know. I, I tell you this about Peter. He cussed out that little girl. You remember that? They were sailors, and they could cuss like sailors. Peter wasn't ordinary. He, I think he's a little less than ordinary. Remember what, they, remember what they said about him in the book of Acts? These are uneducated. These are unlearned men, uneducated. They were less than average. And yet Jesus is going to fill them with the Holy Ghost. And Jesus is going to use them to turn the world upside down. Isn't that something else? And I want you to look at the, what he says to them. Number one, if you're going to take notes, he gives the church a great mission. And you know what the mission is? Go. Go. That's the mission. Go Preach the gospel. Spread this life-changing, this life-giving message of the hope of Jesus Christ. Go! That's the message. And what an exciting and thrilling thing it is. That mission is for you. That mission is for me. That mission is for all believers. John Piper said it so well. He said, we are either going to go or either we're going to sin uh, send, or we're going to disobey we're going to go we're going to send, or we're going to disobey I'll, I'll just be honest with you I do not have the mental capacity to translate scripture for a language that doesn't have the Bible at all in their language I do not have that mental the Lord did not give me that kind of intellect. I am very appreciative and maybe even a little jealous of those who have that kind of brain capacity. But the Lord didn't give me that. But do you know what I can do? I can't go in that regard, but I can send. I can send. The end of this month, or the end of May, uh, our brother Danny Thompson is going to be talking to us about Good News Jail and Prison Ministry. For over 25 years, he's been a full-time chaplain with Good News Jail and Prison Ministry. I was with him up in Abington in the fall, and he was doing a great event. And uh, his uh, former pastor that he worked under until he moved here. He stood up. I just laughed. He said, Danny is so committed to prison ministry, he spent more time behind bars than murderers have. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Either we're going to go or we're going to sin or we're going to disobey. The gospel message is clear. Go do it. Action. Friends, faith is a verb. It is action. And do you know why God is blessing our church to the degree that he is? Because we're not about our four walls and no more, right? We're not about just what happens within this space. No. The Bible, listen, so many churches, they have this field of dreams mentality. If you build it, people will come. That's not the gospel. 
The gospel is go into the highways and byways and compel them to come. That's the gospel. What God blesses is not what happens in here. It's what happens out there. You know what we do in here? This is like a big locker room. We get the game plan. We make adjustments. We high-five each other. We encourage each other. Right? But the real work goes on out there. Beyond the walls. Friends, are you spreading the gospel where you work? And I'm not talking about taking the largest family Bible you can have and hitting people over the head with that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being salt. I'm talking about being light. I'm talking about being the real deal. I'm talking about being authentic. Do people look at your life and see Jesus? Because you know what the fact is? See, you and I have carved out time out of this Lord's day to come and study God's word together. But you know what the fact of the matter is? For most people, the only Bible that they will ever see, that they'll ever read, is the Bible in you and the Bible in me. We better be the real deal. Either we're going to go, we're going to sin, or we're going to disobey. The gospel mission, the gospel message is clear. Go. God has not saved us to sit in these chairs. That's not why he saved us. He saved us to go out there and make disciples. So he says, go proclaim the gospel. Baptize. In Matthew it says, baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're to baptize people. In other words, we're to disciple them. We're to follow them through. It's not just getting them saved. It's getting them discipled. And now I want you to note this. I want you to note the miracles of the church. You have the mission of the church. The Our message is clear. Our mission is clear. Preach the gospel. If Christ is lifted high, he'll draw all men to him. We're not to uplift our church. We're to uplift Jesus. This great article that came out in today's paper about next Sunday's Healing Sunday. uh, Let me tell you, we're, we're not to lift up our church. We're to lift up Jesus. Who can heal? Jesus. Who can set free? Jesus. Who can transform? Jesus. Not the church. Jesus. All right. The miracles of the church. Well, what are the miracles of the church? Now, nothing has brought more confusion to people than these scriptures right here. Let's look closely at what he says. Jesus says, in my name. Now, that's big right there. Because, again, you know what that reinforces? We don't do anything in our name. We do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where is the authority? Where is the power? It's in the name of Jesus, not ours. We don't do anything in the name of preaching Christ. We do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. If I took your checkbook and I wrote a check out of your checkbook and I signed my name, is it valid? No. Why? I don't have the authority. Do you know why we pray in Jesus' name? Because that's what has authority in heaven and on earth. Not us, but Jesus. (laughs) In the name of Jesus, what's going to happen? You're going to cast out devils in Jesus' name. 
Let me tell you something. You don't think this generation, you don't think this culture does not have demonic activity going on in it? The church better know how to take authority over devils in this generation. You'll speak with new tongues. You'll take up serpents and they won't harm you. If you drink any poison or deadly thing, it will not harm you. You'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now this has caused a world of confusion. There are many misguided Christians who get these all wrong. Have you ever heard of snake handling churches? Oh, oh Lord, help us. You ever heard of that? Sometimes people will ask me, listen, well, what kind of church is preaching Christ church? What kind of church are you? They'll say, are y'all a snake handling church? Well, you know, the cables that run all the, the musical stuff from the back sound booth all the way to the stage, you know, those are called snakes. So when people ask me for a snake handling church, I say, yeah, we actually have 100 footers ran all the way through the ceiling. We like the, the big ones there, the 100 footers. People misunderstand. Listen, people who think that you can take up snakes and it's some kind of faith thing or drink poison, some kind of faith. No, that is no different than Satan taking Jesus on the pinnacle and saying, cast yourself down and let God catch you. No, that's tempting the Lord your God. You don't tempt the Lord. You don't tempt God. That's foolishness. But let me tell you the purpose of these verses. We see these things in the book of Acts. We see demons being cast out in Jesus' name. What happened when they were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost? They spoke with new tongues, and people from every language and culture heard the gospel in their own native tongue. How could that have happened? The power of the Holy Spirit. Paul, you remember when Paul was carrying the wood on the island of Malta, and the viper came and bit his hand and, and latched onto his hand, and, pipe, and, and Paul shook that viper off into the fire. And everyone said he's going to swell up and die. And the venom never harmed him. And see, let me tell you, my friends. These verses, they're not mystical. They're not sensational. They're not crazy out there. No, you think about this with me. You take a God a godly missionary who's serving Christ in some foreign land in a hostile environment, and you take someone in a Muslim land or a highly hostile region toward Christianity, and that missionary goes to dinner, and someone unknowingly slips poison into that dinner, and God preserves his life, and it doesn't harm you. You're telling me that the Holy Spirit can't do that yet today? Absolutely not. We're not talking about things that are crazy and sensational. We're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. And my friends, it's the same yesterday in the pages of the Bible. And it's the same today in our generation. And it will be for all of time. Amen. We often call... Acts. We call it the Acts of the Apostles. But no, my friends, it's the Acts 
of the Holy Spirit. And these things that would make us kind of scratch our head. Listen, it's not weird and it's not odd. It's just the Holy Spirit being active. The Holy Spirit being active. Nothing more, nothing less. So God gives his church a message. Preach the gospel. And God gives his church miracles to confirm that gospel. Does God do miracles today? People who don't believe that we are still living in the pages of the Bible, they are called cessationists. They believe that everything has ceased. Friends, I don't believe that the book of Acts ever came to a close. 28 is the last chapter of Acts. Friends, I believe we live in Acts 29 until the harpazo, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? And I'm not a sensational preacher, I don't. May 1, when we do this great community Sunday where we invite the hurting to come be prayed for, I don't, I'm not looking for sensational things. God may do more things that our physical eyes will never see that heaven knows. I'm not looking for great emotionalism. It's not. God doesn't. No. You know what I'm looking for? I'm looking for what the Bible tells us to look for. For fruit that will remain. Fruit that will abound. Transformation in people's lives. But how does God bring that transformation? Through the preaching of the gospel. That's how he does it. That's our mission. It's our message. But God also still does miracles. He touches people's lives. I'm not going to say the name because I would never embarrass someone. But we prayed for a lady this week. When I talk about a healing Sunday... I need healing myself. I'm a diabetic. And I need healing. But I don't just mean physical healing. This, as I learned this lady's story, if I were to tell you her story, and if I were to tell you what happened to her as a little girl and as a child, you would gasp audibly. I did. And if you and I could understand the trauma, and if you and I could understand the hurt in this young lady's soul, let me tell you what she needs more than anything. She don't need a cute church with cute chairs and cute music and a polished preacher. No. She needs the Lord Jesus Christ to touch her. Period. We have nothing to offer her except the gospel. Because nothing else will change her life except the gospel. It's everything. But see, hear me. Miracles mean nothing apart from the message, the gospel. There are people like her with great emotional hurts. 
There are people with mental health issues today. Oh, the you don't think Satan is not on a rampage right now with mental health? He is devastating families with mental health. Devastating them. You don't think Satan's on a rampage with drug addiction right now? It's devastating. And I want to ask you, my precious church, are we going to hold the truth of God's word in our laps Sunday after Sunday? And are we going to pray our prayers? And are we going to nail prodigals to the cross? And are we going to sing our songs and sip our coffee and sit here as though the Lord has never risen? I can't do it. I can't. The book of Mark won't allow me to do it. I can't go on like business as usual. I can't do church as usual. No, I've come to a decision point. Let God be God. Let God move the way God desires to move. Can we say amen today? Have you signed up for my weekly devotional email? Every Tuesday, I send out a devotion that will help you grow in your faith. Go to my website, awakentograce.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and when you sign up and submit your email, you'll get a direct message from me every Tuesday. Sign up today at awakentograce.com.